Shut up and sit down. All right. Well, we're here today with Scott Butler. Um, Scott is an actor from London, England. He won the 2011 Best Actors Award of Excellence at the Canada International Film Festival. And I got to uh, meet, uh, well, not in person, but the first time I got introduced to Scott was through a pretty funky music video uh, for a witch casket called Punishment that Katya actually sent me over. So that was pretty cool, man. By the way, and she showed it. She sent it to me. I was like, "What is this that she's showing me?" <laughs> I had to watch it all the way through, and I was like, oh, "Okay, this is today." <laughs> it really looked uh, like a like a throwback type video. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Scott. What's the uh, What's the deal with you? Um. Well, where to start? I, I've been in video games as an artist for almost thirty years. I was offered a, a job in games when I was sixteen, and had to finish my exams, so, so you know, took on the job uh, when I was 17 the following year. So I still do that. I, I have dual careers. Um, I work at Fox Next Games working on the new Avatar game for the uh, James Cameron movies coming out. Nice. And, uh, I got laid off at the end of 2008 from my previous job a couple of jobs ago at uh, PlayStation in San Diego uh, in the height of the recession and then realized there was no work around and thought, well, is there anything I want to do? For like my sort of first break in 20 years, I have this severance money and stuff, and it's not going to last very long, but I've got to keep looking for work. So I, I, I suddenly realized that I'd, uh, I sort of remember back to when I was a kid that I was interested in acting, but never took it up. And uh, um, my mother had found a couple of auditions when I was about 12 or something in a local paper, but my dad never took me. He sort of, you know, said, well, I'm too busy, you know. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, that was that really. And I think I, I did a school nativity play when I was like six, and I was playing Jesus. And I ran onto a stage where there was all like polished wood, really small stage, and tripped on my tunic from my intro <laughs> to my play, slid across the stage like a seal, went down the other steps, and ended up under the principal's chair. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to acting, laughing, flying Jesus for three years. So uh, that was that was the height of my acting career, and then um, I decided to take an acting class in San Diego, and I thought, well, if acting's not my thing and I'm not good at it, then at least I'll get better at public speaking, because a lot of people doing that class were all yeah. like, you know, professionals sort of doing presentations, management, that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I got into that way. And the interesting thing was that when I went to attend my very first sort of step into that world, which was auditing this class, checking it out. I remember parking my car, going up the elevator, down this dark, gloomy corridor. And as I was getting towards the door, I thought, what the hell am I doing? This is stupid. Why am I looking at an acting thing when I have a career already? You know? <laughs> so I turned back. I didn't even go in. I turned back, went down the elevator, got in my car and started driving off. And, uh, and then I went about a quarter of a mile down the road. And then I thought, no, you should check it out at least. So that, that was sort of the turning point where it went off in a crazy direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I was like, you know what? I don't know much about Scott. I'm going to do some research on him. So so I was in your, your uh, IMDb page, and I saw you had a movie called Holy Terror. So speaking of Flying Jesus, I watched <laughs> that last night. Oh, you watched it? I actually watched Yeah, I watched the whole thing last night. I was, oh, I was, oh my gosh. I, I got to admit, I was a little uh, let down that it was a tragedy, and everybody, you know, spoiler alert, everybody ended up, you know, dying at the end. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it did catch my attention right off the bat. I was like, oh, okay. 
this looks interesting, perfect for Halloween. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a very, very low-budget film, but it was made with a lot of uh, passion and heart. And we, we had a premiere for it in Hollywood, um, and we invited, like, loads of friends and, you know, industry people. And we had a lot of media there doing interviews, and uh, it, was, it was a good, fun night. But there was a couple of moments in the film that got some laughs, and I think it was unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that, you know, even though it's, you know, it, it is what it is. It's, you feel proud of the work and you put it out there and you're like, that was fun, you know, and somebody's going to enjoy this. So, yeah, we, we had a blast making it and it was shot in an extremely short amount of time. I think the whole film was done in eight days. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's obviously the principal photography, then obviously post-production after that. But, um, yeah, it was done very quick. I mean, even by, you know, sort of today's standards where they, they knock things out a lot faster, they're still very quick, you know. That was, yeah, absolutely quick. Hey, so tell me a little bit more about this video game industry. I mean, so many kids today are, are playing a lot of games. And then you were talking a little bit about the avatar thing. I, I just joined a real estate company where they're actually using avatars to move around in uh, this third-dimensional world. So if I have a problem with accounting or I have a problem with whatever, I take yeah. my little avatar and literally go to the accounting department and you know, yeah. solve my problem. What's, what's the world like in the video game industry that's heading in that direction? Well, it's it's interesting because, you know, when I started, it was 89, and back then it was, you know, like real simple sort of basic video games. And uh, I remember my father saying to me, son, I don't want you to get in that industry. That beep, beep, beep stuff is not going to last more than two years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, now, now he admits it's been pretty good, you know, because uh, the games industry is now bigger than music and movies, you know, it's huge. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it's been interesting seeing that grow. But, yeah, as far as your question, it's, it's interesting because it was all, all this sort of very, like, self-contained thing. And, you know, it had sort of a stigma about it that anyone that played video games was sort of like, you know, basement geeks and never went out yeah. and all that kind of stuff, which is still probably partly true. But it's spread out now. I mean, I remember when, you know, when I was first working in games, I think it was like 95% male, you know. And now it's like very, very even balance, you know. And... Uh, the whole video games technology, especially like 3D and then now VR and all that kind of stuff, um, has now spread out into other things because now it's sort of a viable platform for all sorts of stuff like architectural previews, like like you say, sort of social and communication ways of connecting with other people that, that, to, to, that can some, to some people seem a little bit more interactive than emails and waiting for a reply and a response and then messaging which has no face to it and context can be sort of thrown out based on what you're typing and stuff like that you know so <laughs> if you have like, like we're doing right now we're having this sort of vocal transaction and also you know visual too um i think that's sort of the way the world's going it scares me a little bit i'll be honest i mean i do love tech but it does scare me a little bit i mean i first was dabbling in vr back in like 92 93 and uh you know back then it was like the, 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 the prototype that we were making at this company called Argonaut back in the day, uh, they were like 3D pioneers, and we were making this thing basically uh, running off of the Super Nintendo, the SNES. Oh, and, the, the very yeah. good console, the fun one. Yeah, it's a great console, but it wasn't really good at pushing 3D. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a skateboard helmet with a couple of screens hanging down. It looked like some old sort of sci-fi movie from the 50s. You know? <laughs> but it was, it was a little glimpse into the future, and it was fascinating. Um, yeah. All that, all that technology was sci-fi at one point. I remember Nintendo had the uh, the glove that you would yeah. put in your hand and you'd play the game. It was a horrible piece of equipment, but <laughs> the theory was there. You know, something that that you can yeah. take and take put on and actually play into. And then we got movies like Ready Player One, where right now it's you know amazing sci-fi, but 
it's going to become a reality more and more yeah. uh, that we do a lot of a lot of technology moving in that direction. James and I were big Halo people. You remember playing? Oh, yeah, yeah, I played Halo One. Yeah, we yeah we played Halo One. We we were those kids that all our friends would come over with their Halo with their Xboxes, and we'd put in like four TVs in different rooms and like make yeah. it up together. Yeah, and that was the the epic gaming experience. Yeah, right? and, and, and yeah, and not just that. When you played the actual game mode, there was a story behind it, right? Mm-hmm. There was there was everything from where the chief came from and you know his story, where he was going, and all that cinematography as well as the gameplay make I think games much more interesting today. Oh yeah, and it gives opportunity for you know actors like you to to take the characters to a whole new level. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it's been interesting the crossover too because. You know, if I'd have started acting very young, I don't know if the games industry sort of had the crossover at that point. You know, they, they were starting to do when they started having CD-based consoles. They started having like, you know, little video clips and things in games, but mm-hmm. um, like the intro cinematics and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, sort of. Uh, now it's like it's interesting because there's so much crossover and there's so much. Uh, they're, they're now looking at like I think uh, interactive VR movies and stuff and. You know, when I got into acting, there were a couple of times where, so in acting, there's, there's like different things you do, right? There's like green screen acting, there's like voiceover. Mm-hmm. And those two, the thing they have in common is that you are acting in an environment, an actual physical environment that has no relevance to what you're supposed to be in. Right? <laughs> right? You know, if you're you in a green really picture room, it looks nothing like, you know, a sort of post-apocalyptic world that they're going to superimpose in the background. You know? So... <laughs> You have to have a really strong imagination and uh, you have to sort of like almost like visually blank out all that stuff and replace it with what you see as being what, what they're going to put in, you know. And it's the same for voice acting too. You know, I, I did a lot of voice acting classes and, and jobs where, you know, you're basically in a booth, <laughs> you know, with a, with a microphone like you have in front of you and your headphones on. And it's like, all right, you're a, a, a crazy squirrel from the south who just fell off a cliff. So you have to like kind of come up with that stuff. And I found that working in games and having that strong imagination, and you know, when you're working in games too as an artist, you know, you're 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 developing characters and artwork and environments. And you start from literally a grey screen with a grid on it. There's nothing there. So you have to imagine all this stuff and build it up, and build it outwards. And uh, I think I think that that has helped me somewhat. And also, think vice versa too. I think some of the acting stuff has sort of brought in a lot of the stuff that I've learned as an actor. You know, as far as like character development and storytelling mm-hmm. and things like that into games. So I I, I kind of love the marriage of these two things. You know. Yeah, definitely. How does a how does like a budding actor, somebody barely getting new into the business, how do they go about? finding work or deciding, you know, maybe I'm going video game around or maybe I'm doing commercials or maybe I'm yeah. doing, you know, modeling. How, how does one really go about, you know, first of all, deciding, I guess, and then after that, actually finding and attaining work in that type of industry? Yeah, I, I um, interestingly, I, I get a lot of people reach out to me and some of their friends are friends or, you know, whatever, and they, they say to me, hey, I've got this friend who's getting into it. They don't know what to do. They know where to start. Um, is there any advice you can give them? And I, I always try to extend it a little further and say, well, how about we grab lunch together and we'll talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Because uh, the, I, I do what I sort of do is a, like an hour-long brain dump on people, you know? <laughs> um, because I've been doing this nine years now, um, you know, and I've worked on enough sort of projects and seen enough things, I think, that I figured out at least sort of the foundation of how to go about it. And in answer to your question, 
you know, getting started, I, I told friends, just have some really good pictures, really good headshots of you. Doesn't need to be like, oh, trying too hard, like, oh, here I am as an evil guy, here I am as a professor, here I am as this. Mm -hmm. Just just give something that is you, the essence of you. Every character that you do when you go into an audition or you do a film should have a foundation of you. Even if that character that you're playing is nothing like who you are as a person. <laughs> I'm not so, some megalomaniac, you know, dictator, like wanting to blow up the world, but right. it's your foundation of who you are. So what your beliefs are and everything can carry through. So I think that you should do that with your 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 photos and try to think of the spectrum of what it is that you might be able to play. I think a lot of actors come into town and they sort of, they sort of, uh, 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 you know, allure to like, you know, I want to be the next Tom Cruise. I want to be the next, um, you know, Tom Hardy or something. And, and the reality is to be what them. they are might be something else that's equally valuable. And you really have to play to your strengths. I think if you sort of walk into an audition room and you're already not the character, then you've mm -hmm. pretty much already lost the job unless you, you do something, you know, that really stands out. So there's that, getting good pictures, getting some good training. I recommend um, looking on, like, you know, really uh, official forums like backstage.com for information. There's good advice on there um, about schools and agents and things that are legit and that are proven well um, and that have really good thing. I think that if you... If you go to a, a school, especially in LA or New York or any, any major hub or Atlanta, and you go somewhere that agents recognize, like, oh, we know this school, you know, versus some other little school that may, may not have heard of, that gets you your foot in the door for agents too down the line because they look at that stuff and go, oh, you studied with them, that's great. Keep doing that, that's really good. I know that's going to help me get you out for auditions because I can say, hey, I have this actor who's studying with so-and-so. So training and pictures first. You, a lot of actors worry that they're like, well, I don't have a resume. You know, I don't have any film. It's like, that doesn't matter. Just just put something down. Just put, you know, here's your skills, here's your training, here's a picture. And before you know it, you know, you'll be doing stuff. And I started out with student films and short films, you know, in San Diego before I moved to L.A. And, uh, you know, it was interesting because I was the only British actor in the whole city. <laughs> so I would turn up to these auditions and, and you know, filmmakers, meetups and things and, and then I'd sort of speak, and they go, "Oh, where are you from?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, does does yeah, that I'm accent uh, take you a, a little bit further, you think, than uh, maybe you know the "Hey Dude" accent I got? Or does it the "Hey, hey Dude" accent? I've never heard it called that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's good. <laughs> hey, dude. Um, funny enough, I say "dude" all the time now because I've been here too long. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah, I think so. Uh, I would say um, ninety plus percent of my work has been with the accent, and some of it has been sort of like roles that they weren't expecting it to be a British actor to fill it. When I did 16 Love, um, when I was still living in San Diego, that was a really major film. It was a big budget film. And I was, I didn't really know what I had at the time. You know, I, I got that off of Craigslist of all places. <laughs> and uh, I went I went to the set and it was just huge. It was like so many crew members and trucks everywhere and stuff. I was like, wow, this is huge. I mean, because all I've been doing is student films, you know. Right. And uh, But when I auditioned for that, I remember being in the room and it was for the, the, the chair umpire for the finals match um, in the film. And I didn't really think to pay attention to like, well, they're probably looking for a British actor, sorry, American actor. So I just sort of thought, well, Wimbledon, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I walked in there and I was like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Lacoste thing, you know? And they're all stood there like staring at me. And then I saw them whispering and I was like, uh-oh, I'm in uh -oh. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> 
and then uh, yeah, and then I, I booked the job. So I, I don't know. It's um, I think it has carried me a little further because it is something different. But on the same side, I can also say that it has limited the number of jobs I can go out for because you know, 90 plus percent of acting jobs are for American roles because they want to represent mm-hmm. American people. To right. So, yeah, um, to answer your question, I think it's helped, but it's also kind of limited in other ways too. I guess it's always a perspective thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I think I, I think if I was to go one way or the other, if I had a choice, then I would say being something specialized in one area can sometimes be more powerful than trying to sort of mix in with the other 90%, you know? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I think that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing that happens to actors. You know, you get young actors come into LA and they've got, you know, five or 10 grand in their pocket and they're like, all right, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm talented, I'm good looking, I'm whatever, you know, all these things that they've been told from where they come from. And then what happens is they, they get to like the audition waiting room and they're like, oh my God, there are 50 other people that are just like me. You know? <laughs> Intimidation like, factor. Uh, I'm not so special. I'm one of these people. So, you know, it's, um, <laughs> and then it's not even just that 50. It's like another few hundred that didn't get the audition, you know? So uh, that, that's not a negative thing. That's just sort of, you have to understand to, that you can't just play off of shallow strengths. You have to have something, I think. Or, or if you don't have, you know, like some sort of special thing that that's going on just naturally, I think just really loving what you're doing comes through. I think it's that law of attraction thing. Yeah. That, you yeah. know, when people see that you're having a great time and you're putting everything into it, I think that there's an attraction there. And I think other people kind of get off that energy. You know, they sort of think, huh, that's cool. That really works well. And we're having fun doing this. And I'll remember him for the future, you know. How many uh, auditions do you think actors have to go through? How many times do you think they have to hear no before they finally get, you know, a yes? I had... When I first moved to LA, I, I had a coffee with a friend of mine who's a very, very successful actor, and he's been in some major projects, and he said to me that, because I, I, I was curious about that, because in San Diego, I didn't expect it to be the same deal. You know, coming to LA, I realized mm-hmm. that it was going to be small fish in a big pond, other than right. the way around, you know. So I said to him, what kind of number should I expect? Because I've literally been there like two weeks. <laughs> and he said, well, he said when he started way back in the day, he said that he was looking at sort of a 50 to 1 ratio. Wow, got to go 50 no's before you get a yes. Yeah. In San Diego, I was doing 5 to 1, but in LA, I was doing... You really cracked that ratio. Yeah. Yeah, That's all right. (laughs) Yeah, it was easier there, you know, because it was small films, you know. There's only like six people turning up for the auditions. But in LA, it's definitely, yeah, it's a lot, lot more competitive. LA is the probably the most competitive, maybe alongside New York, but New York's more theater-based, I think, um, you know, as far as competitiveness. But I always say to people, don't let that get you down because, you know, you, you hear all these stories about, well, it's the hardest industry in the world, and or you started too late. That's what I heard, by the way. I was turning mm-hmm. on 37 when I started, and oh, everyone was saying to me, you know, you're starting way too late. You should have been in your teens or your early 20s. You know, you've got no chance at all, you know. But I'm stubborn, so every time I heard a no, I heard a yes. You know? <laughs> so I, I always tell people, it's a really fun industry. You're going to have a blast. If, if, you, if you enjoy being creative and using imagination, 
and just enjoy each day. Don't think, don't compare yourself to other people and go, how come they booked these things and I didn't? And how come they're so much further ahead? And what have they got that I don't? Don't you do all that stuff? You're gonna, you're gonna basically ruin yourself and you're gonna quit. You're gonna you get in your own I, way. Everyone has a different path. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Just, yeah we do a lot of. Just lay the tracks. Yeah, we do a lot of sales training, and we have a, a a lot of people who go through that. I have I you know I got 27 no's, too many no's. How do I get past this no? And we always kind of tell them the same thing. You got to get out of your own way. You know, it's not a no because they don't like you or they hate you. It's just a no for this particular situation That's at right. this particular time. But be persistent and keep going forward. Yeah. And you know, in your industry, I'd imagine it's almost the nose feel almost even more directed at you. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're they're a lot more personal in that sense. But but like you said, stay stubborn, stay persistent. Yeah, you know, the um, casting directors in various interviews have said that ninety nine plus percent of the reason why you got a no was really nothing to do with anything personal about you. It wasn't that you were disliked or you didn't do a good job. It was just that you weren't the right person for it. That was all. That was all. You know, the, the way to do with the, you. Yeah, exactly. The way the way casting directors present a slew of auditions it is almost a little akin, I think, to how a waiter or a waitress will present a tray of samples to you at, 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 at you know, like food samples at, at a at some event. You know, mm -hmm. so, would you like any of these? You know, and that's all it is. It's not that you have some negativity or hate towards the rest of them. It's just that I fancy this. I think this is going to work for me. And then right. kind of how it works. That one. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. I love, I'm going to steal that analogy, by the way. <laughs> I love okay, that sure. Analogy. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you, uh, you're from London, England. When did you move to the States? Did you, was it something when you were a young kid or older? Uh, I was in 2001 when I was 28. Um, I had contacted a bunch of British friends that had moved out to the States around 97, I think it was. And we used to work together at that company where we we're doing the VR stuff. Mm -hmm. And so we were at that company and they had just by happen chance gone to Sony PlayStation San Francisco. And I went to, I, I eventually went to Sony PlayStation. Sorry, I was at, at the time I was at Sony PlayStation London. So we both ended up at the same company, different countries. Mm -hmm. The San Francisco office broke down to San Diego and it split into two parts. So I said, I've never been to America. I'd love to come visit. Good to see you guys. And I, I just want to see the States. And I thought California is really cool. And all I could think of was like Baywatch and things like that. <laughs> I had this really crazy idea of what California was, you know. Everyone running around in bathing suits and explosions and things. You know, and like, it's exactly like that. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I basically like, with, you know, because my crazy imagination, I imagine all like everything you see in movies kind of in one place, you know. So um, uh, I came out to visit them and right before I flew out, they said to me, well, actually, there's a job going here, which is, you know, what you do. Are you interested in maybe checking it out when you're here? And I was like, oh, well, that's, yeah, sure. I don't know. Yeah. So, you know, one minute I was on the beach in San Diego in November, I couldn't believe the weather compared to England, but it was pouring a lot, yeah. freezing. And uh, the next minute I'm putting on a suit and having an interview. And I got back to England a week and a half. I was back for like a week and a half. I had a friend of mine around my apartment watching TV. And I said, you know, I should probably call them. I should probably give them a, give them a call back. And uh, I went in the other room, spoke to him. And then came back into the living room and said, uh, I'm moving to America. <laughs> and he said, 
I leave you alone for five minutes and you, you make plans to move abroad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess I'm doing it. Uh, whoa, I was, I was all like shaky and thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? So that was it. I, I waited nine months for my visa to come through and then I moved in 2002 when I was, it was weird because, you know, turning 30 is like the big thing, right? You know, yeah. birthday. And I'd planned out having this massive birthday with a bunch of friends and uh, that didn't happen. I, I arrived in in the US six days before my birthday, wow. 29 turning 30. And I had this weird lunch work party thing with all these strangers I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> these two friends that got me the job. Now that's a, that's scary, man. I mean, we, yeah. I personally deal with a lot of uh, high school age seniors because I, I, uh, I teach high school uh, part-time also. And, um, it's it's different when I'm talking about you know moving out of your parents' home or going off on your own. You're crossing a major ocean in another yeah. country. I mean, you literally went all the way across almost yeah. the other side of the world. Six thousand miles. Yeah, to yeah. move. Did you like bring your furniture, or you said screw that? I'm just taking a suitcase <laughs> and. <laughs> well, I mean, I had a very small apartment in the UK, and uh, so I didn't have a lot of stuff. I left the furniture behind, but I got the movers to help me pack all like the books and you know bits and pieces, gadgets and things. And all that stuff arrived uh, about a month later after I arrived in the U.S. because it was all on a ship, you know. Wow. And then uh, all these boxes turn up, and I thought, you know, when when they were packing the boxes, it filled up my entire apartment. I couldn't move around. But you know the scale of things, right? U.S. to U.K. I ended up in this huge apartment that was enormous after my, you know, because I had like a one month stay in a corporate thing and then I moved into my own apartment. And then uh, I moved into this huge apartment, this two bed, two bath thing. And all the, all the boxes turned up and I, before they turned up, I was like, where are they all gonna go? And then they put them in the corner of the living room and it barely was like the size of a coffee table. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this place is a little bit bigger than I'm used to, you know? So, yeah. Square footage wise, like I mean, I'd, I've never been to London personally, uh, or much less even lived in London. But yeah. I imagine it's. It, I get the impression it's a, a lot like New York when it comes to yeah. expense wise, right? Yeah. So how, how big was your apartment in New York compared to the apartment that you got, you know, here in the states? Well, my my place in London. Well, actually, t- technically, my place isn't even in London. It's just on the outskirts, so it actually has a bit more space and and it's cheaper than it would be if it was in the London sort of zip code. Um, but it was 395 square feet. Oh, yeah, that's tiny. <laughs> it was a shoebox, you know? <laughs> so it was really cozy, let's put it that way. That's the way I used to... Yeah, yeah, cozy, cozy. Yeah, no, no, I, I completely understand. It's different, you know? Oh, yeah, you have a space. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny? I remember when I, when I flew over in 2001 to have that visit and interview, I, my very first meal in the States, uh, very first sit-down dinner with my friends was at Islands, you know, the sort of Hawaiian. The burger place. Burger yeah. place, yeah. And I got there, and being super British at the time, you know, with all the slang and everything, I was like, oh, yeah, uh, I fancy, uh, I don't know, chicken sandwiches and chips, you know, with <laughs> fries, right? you know? And uh, my friends were like, oh, you should probably order the pelican sandwich and then get the fries on the side, you know, whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. And I thought, oh, the fries are only $1.95. That's really cheap, you know. So the order comes. <laughs> and the, the lady brings in this huge basket of fries, dumps them on the table, 
and I'd never seen a basket of fries so big. And I was like, oh, is it like we share them or something? Is that how this works? And like, no, they're your, your like, order. <laughs> I can't eat all that. Are you kidding me? And then the burger turns up, and I was expecting this little sandwich, and I got this enormous thing that was basically like an entire chicken with a leg sticking out. You know, <laughs> and I was like, how am I going to eat this? This is ridiculous. And my appetite disappeared. I had like a couple of bites, and I couldn't eat it. Like, oh my god, this is take some getting used to. I don't know about this. Well, you came to America, you got to put on some pounds. That's what happened. That's the funny thing was before I came to the States, I was bigger than I am now. And uh, I've lost 45 pounds since I've moved to the States. Wow. And, uh, yeah, my, 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 my pub trick was like a balance of my beer glass on my gut. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when, I, when I was moving over, apparently all my, you know, to-be co-workers at Sony had said, um, uh, we're, doing a, we're doing a bet of how much weight you're going to put on moving to the States. Yeah, that's what, and, where my money would have been. Yeah, and I think one person said he's going to gain 100 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the over bet. <laughs> yeah, and my, stubbornness, my stubbornness was like, no, I'm going to lose weight. Screw you guys. So I should have won the pot in the end. I don't know why I didn't get the money. But, um, but yeah, I ended up just kind of moving, thinking, well, this is a fresh start, you know, California. I want to get into all this stuff. I want to go down the beach. I want to enjoy, like, maybe get into surfing, try stuff. Yeah. Like and uh, so I had six weeks uh, PTO time off from my job in London. And uh, I, I was in bad shape. And I just started walking, you know, sort of the nearby fields where I used to live. I, I could barely walk half a mile without collapsing. And then <laughs> by the end of the six weeks, I think I lost like close to 15 pounds and I was starting to jog, you know? Yeah. So you I thought, to have right. more energy. You feel a little better. Yeah. You wake up with a purpose. Yeah, it makes a yeah. big difference. So I wanted to keep that going, you know? All right. I got one more question to, for you and uh, sure. we'll kind of finish this one off for today. So how do you how do you give back? What's your, what's your uh, thought process on... Uh, you know, I've made it this far. How do I give back to my community at all? Well, that, that's interesting you asked that, actually, because that's something that's been a discussion now for the past uh, several months. Um, so, so when I moved to L.A., I was sort of not knowing what to do. I was struggling. I was financially struggling, too, because, you know, having sort of a change of career and deciding to go pretty much full-time acting for a few years was really, really tough, having come from a very good salary to almost nothing, to living on the poverty mm-hmm. line. And that was tough. I did, um, just to give you a small bit of backstory, I was so broke in 2011 that I worked as a zombie at Six Flags on $8 an hour, which was one-eighth of what I used to make. And uh, I was thinking of writing a book called From Six Figures to Six Flags and Back Again. Wow. One man <laughs> Good title. And, and finding himself, you know. Um, yeah. but, but in answer to your question, I had a lot of really good people you know, helped me out, people that gave me work, people that gave me advice, people that just supported me. And I never forgotten it. You know, I, I did a movie called uh, Wiener Dog Internationals, which came from me doing the previous movie, Wiener Dog Nationals, which was a, a, a family movie centered around dogs. And I was background on it. I was an extra. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine had said, there's, there's some work. So I needed it. It's 2011. And, um, uh, I didn't get used because of an accident because I was changing and they, they disappeared and they came back. I, when I came out after changing my clothes, there was nobody there. <laughs> they, they said, don't worry, just sit tight. We'll come back to you later. And when they came back to me later, they said, has anyone not been used yet? And I put my hand up and they said, do you have a suit? And I was like, no, I don't. And then another extra said, I've got a suit you can borrow. And he lent me a suit, bless him. Wow. And it didn't even fit. The sleeves were too long and the whole thing because he's a bigger guy than me. 
uh, he lent me the suit and he could have taken the role because it's his suit and he lent me it and because of that I ended up with a speaking role in the second film which was released by Lionsgate and I thanked him personally a couple of years ago saying you know thank you for that it was really really sweet of you his name is Chris Yankee and um, we are just now starting to produce our own movies where my friend who's a my co-producer he's uh, having his first child right now and wow. Congratulations. Uh, when, yeah and when he's uh, able to start working again in several months he and I are, already have scripts in the works for films and I want to offer roles and cast to friends that have helped and, and collaborate with people and give a little back because this this industry especially in LA it can it can it can consume you to sort of chasing after what can I get? What can I get for me? How am I going to survive? What, what about me kind of thing? And, you know, it does, it does happen. It does. You, you get self-consumed by it. And now I've had some success and life is good. I, I want to sort of reflect on that a little bit and, and try to help people out a little bit and kind of offer people work, you know. Awesome. So we have about seven movies we're, we're planning on. Oh, get busy, busy, busy. So if uh, yeah, we have uh, some young actors or anybody who's interested in the show business, what's the best way for them to contact you if they're interested in anything? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, you can find me on Facebook. I think if you just type in Scott Butler Actor, you'll find mm -hmm. me. There's a, there's a sort of a, you know, a main business page you can like. Okay. Um, but also on Twitter and Instagram, if you do at Scott Butler Act, all one word, Scott Butler Act, then uh, you can you can find me on there, and I I respond to all messages, all comments, everything. I I, I do my best, and uh, I've had a lot of people around the world message me and say, "Wow, I've been following lots of actors, and you know, I, I get it. They're busy. It's tough, you know. But I I try to respond to everyone, and I mail out for free signed headshots and things like that to people too. Um, awesome. I really appreciate all the support I get, and uh, you know, it's a two way thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, very thankful for those who uh, care to pay attention. You know? Absolutely. No, I do. I really, I really appreciate the support. You know, even when you get to the thousands of people and it seems like, you know, uh, that their sort of contribution is, is just one small part of that. I, I see every single thing of that being important and, and I don't want to let that go. I'll, you know, I'm very grateful for where I'm at. Thank you. Well, I, I want to thank you for your time, of course, you know, for being on thank the podcast you. with us. You know, we're still young, you up-and-coming broadcast, but... Uh, but the fact that you came on, on the show, you know, I want to reach out and say thank you. And I want to wish you continued success in everything that you do. So, uh, again, thank you for your time and uh, good luck. And, and now that I got you on Facebook and Instagram, by the way, I'm going to be keeping an eye on you and uh, sending yeah. some shout-outs every now and again. For sure. Thank you so much for having me. And I, I love the, the wonderful interview. And, and I really appreciate you having me on the show. And, uh, yeah, when you, when you have this uh, ready to post up, I'll spread it everywhere and get people uh, checking out your site. Awesome. Thank you All very right. much, Scott. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.